Hello, friends. Hello, friend. Welcome to Mr. Rewatch, your Mr. Robot recap podcast brought to you by a stand-up comedian and a depressive hacker. I'm Aaron. And I'm Devlin. And Devlin, you are uh, recording uh, a little under the weather today. Yeah, and considering it's Christmas time in Canada, the weather is not so good either. But I'm getting over a flu. Um, I'm uh, sorry if I sound a little hoarse here. And I'm going to try not to cough on your face as much as possible. Why, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> this is uh, the first time actually in a while that we've recorded in the same room. So it's kind of cool to be doing this for our finale episode. Yeah, it's also like our, our Christmas special in a way. Um, you and I were able to get together over this Christmas holiday to meet with the rest of our family. And then in Mr. Robot fashion, we ran away to record a podcast by ourselves. Um, so you might <laughs> actually hear some people having fun upstairs also, um, but we're down here recording in the dark. That does sound rather, rather fitting, I think, for us. It's, uh, you know, anti-festive in a way. And then we have the Festivus poll over there and the Feats of Strength coming up later. <laughs> Excellent. I've been training this year. So this is the finale of Mr. Robot. Um, it's so it's so awesome that it has finally come, but it's also so sad to know that it's going to be over after this. I feel like I got exactly as much as I needed of all the little touches and details and questions answered as I needed. Did you feel overall satisfied with the finale? I was really satisfied. I actually thought that when it came to the main plot points, they kind of did a good job of just putting it all together in like a nice little package and um, giving it to us in a way that's easy to digest as a viewer. But um, correspondingly, there are some storylines that like we didn't really figure out very much more about. There still is stuff like um, Joanna's uh, adopted child, um, the fate of Tyrell, all of these other things that um, remain ambiguous, but it doesn't actually feel disappointing that we didn't find out the conclusion to those. It actually just makes it kind of even more interesting because now we have the opportunity to fill in those blanks. I think as a viewer, there is a certain amount of imagining that I like to do about a story. And so I feel like I'm I'm not troubled by some of the loose ends that are left, although I know that did irritate some viewers. Um, I also think, and maybe I'm just not clever enough to go back and find the plot holes in things where I just, I think I wanted to be satisfied. I wanted to feel that I had closure and that's how I feel. Same. So what's very cool about this episode is that Elliot is talking to us again, and it's been a little while since he's had anything to say to his imaginary friends. Yeah, because at the end of the last episode, Elliot was in White Rose's strange alternate universe and had just met the strange alternate reality Elliot in his apartment. So we're taking a trip back to the main universe from that one, and it picks up back with the Elliot who we are all familiar with. And I guess we realized pretty shortly that um, that was indeed the last appearance of White Rose. And tragically, there'll be no Beauty Wong in this episode. It is tragic. I'm glad we covered all of our um, White Rose trivia in the last episode. What I did love to see here was the song Mr. Roboto, which I think they must have known they would really need to use at some point in the series because it lyrically fits perfectly. And musically, I think, too, has kind of the spirit of the show. And it's the first time I've ever heard the song that it didn't seem cheesy. <laughs> I I can't not see it as cheesy. And I've always hated that song because um, obviously I love Mr. Robot. I go out and tell people to watch it all the time. And then they're like, oh, is that like Mr. Roboto? I want to I wanna listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> That's because one of us was born in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> Elliot wakes up on the ground um, during an earthquake and the power plant seems to have vanished into thin air 
what does that make you think of? Oh, it didn't remind me of anything. Well, I guess it doesn't really do anything right now except make you wonder. <laughs> exactly, because we know something is not as it was. So I guess we find out soon enough he's kind of strolling around through Washington Township. You know, it looks like a pretty happy place to be. This actually looks very back to the future. This I think that, yeah, they're really like um, making some comparisons there to that movie. And the first sign I have that things are going to get spooky is that every car's white. Wow, yeah, it actually like, I, I noticed that something was odd about it, but I couldn't really put my finger on it right away. Well, because everything seems very normal. This also kind of looks like the Edward Scissorhands neighborhood a little bit. <laughs> I, I haven't seen that actually. Oh my God, you would love it. Uh, he's the Elliot. Um, <laughs> Um, the other thing that lets me know something is not right is that Elliot doesn't have blue jeans. Does he? Where did those come from? Yeah, since when does he have blue jeans? One thing that's kind of funny is that in the trailer for this season, there was one shot that hadn't come up yet, which is somebody wearing blue jeans and like walking away from the camera. So because that scene hadn't come up yet, people were starting to speculate, like, who is this character? How are we going to see this actually come onto the screen? And the big debate was like, is Elliot's butt nice enough to look like this? That actually seems like Tyrell's nice butt. <laughs> so <laughs> people were like trying to like compare the butts and see who was wearing these jeans. And what's funny is I don't even think it was in an objectifying way. I think it was in like a CSI kind of way. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They're like zooming in on the reflections. <laughs> Elliot's first realization that there's something really off about this world is that the Mr. Robot Computer Repair Store, which and his experience had closed 20 years earlier, is still open and actually looks to be prospering. So you notice the logo here is, um, it's a ripoff of Geek Squad. Oh no, I didn't notice that. <laughs> Elliot is kind of wandering around and he can hear Edward Alderson on the phone. And I just think that must be so triggering and so intense for this character to hear that man alive after all these years. Well, especially because as we know from the last episode, the person who Edward Alderson is talking to is the alternate universe, Elliot. So now he's encountering Edward again, and he's starting to see that there is a different Elliot in this universe. So this kind of intertwines with the um, plot points that had come up in the last episode. Um, we have um, alternate universe Elliot talking to Edward. He comes out to see this phone that's been broken because Elliot has taken a look at it and ran off once he noticed that it was Edward's phone and that his picture was on the screen. When he picks up the phone, the time on it is 11.16, and the family Alderson picture on it doesn't include Darlene at all. Yes, so we know that this is that Darlene-less universe. What a terrible universe. If you had a choice between a universe with Darlene in it and a universe without her. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Darlene-less is just a sad word in general. So Elliot's overhearing this conversation um, he kind of ducks out of the store in time to see Edward heading out to his happy home. The house itself must be so disconcerting. Although one thing I had to wonder, don't you think Elliot could have played this a little bit cooler? Well, maybe, but also I, I got to give him a little credit considering the circumstance that he's in. It just seems painfully obvious to me that He's unnerving and kind of alarming everyone he speaks to. And he doesn't seem to cease that behavior for some time, which kind of only makes his predicament worse. There are also so many ways that he kind of tries to be stealthy. And um, we're, we're watching this on the screen together, so I can point it out to you. But he's like 
trying to tail Edward, but he's looking so conspicuous because compared to all of these happy looking people in bright white clean cars, he's wearing like his tight clothes and almost all black outfit. He's so conspicuous. Like he's in this kind of Stepford Wives world, like wearing his black hoodie pulled up over his face. Like, yeah, it's very unsubtle. This is not, he would not be a good, um, private investigator who has to do any kind of physical surveillance. He's like, I am Guy Incognito. (laughs) Edward is not the only one who is different in this universe. Scooter Girl, uh, I don't know what else to call his neighbor, that he sees first in his hallucination in season one when she reminds him to find his monster and turn the key. Here is like a real live normal teenager, I guess, who seems to know Elliot pretty well. I think it's a different actress from previous Scooter Girl. Do you think that she just like grew up a bit? <laughs> well, it's been four or five years since the first one was recorded. So I'm kind of tempted to think it's the same person and we should verify that maybe. She seems pretty perplexed when Elliot asks for Darlene, a person she's never heard of. This is when Stepford Magda comes out of the house. I love that term. She's just, and I mean, she's not behaving like a clone really, but she's all dressed in bright colors. And remember in Elliot's reality, she's always in these kind of severe dark colors and pants. And she's in this kind of white dress. And she's so excited to see him, even though it's a surprise and he's acting like a real weirdo. Um, yeah, she probably thinks he's lost his mind actually, which he basically has in fairness. Did you think that Magda would end up having, um, such an increasing presence um, in the finale because it actually seems like this actress, um, she's really given the opportunity to like deeply integrate into the story as it comes to a close. Which is nice because I think we get to see her do some pretty good acting in this episode and give a bit of range where we had really only seen, you know, sort of one note, right? Because in Elliot's memories, she's always quite cruel. Um, And even when, she dies and Elliot and Darlene are kind of managing her affairs. You know, all they can recall is her cruelty uh, and her lack of caring for them. So it's, uh, although it's almost unnerving to see her talking about new curtains and offering to make a sandwich and, <laughs> you know, regular kind of mom stuff. Something that I find sort of sad about that scene is that Elliot realizes that it's not right. And he says, you know, she's not talking like my mom. She's talking like someone who loves her son. Wow. That is sad. I also guess that, like, um, Elliot's mom that he knows did die pretty recently. I don't know, they didn't have a good relationship. It must be pretty crazy to see her again after she died so recently. Exactly. So both of his mean dead parents have been resurrected. In the happy family photos that are everywhere, there's no Darlene anywhere. Can't be that happy then. No. Elliot kind of bursts upstairs looking for the scene of his uh, childhood defenestration. (laughs) <laughs> or the window incident. Yeah, you, you don't get enough time to use that word, so you really got to take the chance when you have it. He's shocked to find that his bedroom isn't where he remembered it, and the actual room itself is nothing like he remembered it to be. It's very colorful. There are a lot of trophies, and also there's an Apple computer, so it seems like he's been using those for a long time in this universe. He's got trophies for coding, so his skills and behavior have been rewarded and supported, and no wonder he's messed up by this 
Can you imagine though, if someone just walked into the house they had lived in, you know, all their lives and then all of a sudden didn't know where anything was like, I would be pretty worried myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also feel like they, they take so long to actually kind of like get to the conclusion of this. It's kind of like a bunch of build up in the first episode. I feel. I kind of felt that too, where the first episode I think sets the table for really the action for what follows in the second episode of the conclusion. We do get a bit of information here. So Elliot, uh, because he's being ungraceful, Elliot asks his mom some pretty point blank questions about whether his parents ever hurt him or whether he'd ever fallen out of the window. And she, I think maybe very charitably chalks that up to pre-wedding jitters. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I guess, um, I don't know if the jitters would be that bad, but maybe she's just grasping at straw for an explanation. I think she would have to be. But look how Elliot's, even his face and his expression changes when he realizes that Angela is still alive in this universe. I think a possibility he probably hadn't even contemplated. No, and we get to see how important that will be for him. I think Angela is a really powerful lure for him here. And I know, of course, he had you know, always loved her and been very close to her. And I wonder if part of it, too, is the appeal of a sort of seemingly normal, uncomplicated life. You know, a happy life, um, very much unlike his own complex and and sometimes difficult existence. Yeah. And I guess um, they're kind of trying to show you that Angela is going to be a big factor in the reason for Elliot's kind of like remain within this universe and headspace. But there are also so many things that would also want him to be more interested in, in the, the main universe that we're familiar with. So they kind of go to show you that like um, he has all kinds of different motivating factors here. I think just as later they talk about Darlene being what pulls him to present reality. I think here Angela is what pulls him to stay in this reality. Exactly. Yeah, that's a much better way to put that. Elliot asks where Angela is and she's at her apartment back in New York. So I think... He is really motivated to see her. And so he shows up at her pretty nice apartment building, actually. Look at that. (laughs) It is pretty fancy. Yeah. Maybe she works for F Corp in this world. (laughs) So this is another one of those cases where the storyline sort of intersects with what we had seen in the last episode, because we know that alternate universe Elliot at that point also went into Angela's apartment. The person who answers the door here is probably not anyone Elliot ever expected to see answering the door. You might have had that expectation there, right? I I think worried that Price would be her dad in this world. And it looks like he's there um, describing himself as evil incarnate. <laughs> but he's also like so nice and charming. It's, it's much actually like um, Magda where you get to see a bit more range and a bit more of like friendly comedic tones coming from these ordinarily very serious actors. And what I can't tell is if the mom, you know, kind of makes a lot of sarcastic remarks about him forgetting things or being late. And so I can't tell if that's playful marital bickering or an, an indication to us that there's something maybe not quite right under the surface in that relationship. I don't know if you had a take on that. Um, I didn't in particular, but I guess like they are kind of, I'm going to give you like some hints that things are right here. So maybe that's one of those. I think it's a different mom. Angela's mom, I think is played by a different actor. And I find that a little jarring only because I would feel like 
if they were going to do that, it would be deliberate and mean something. But I think they've just subbed her out for another blonde woman <laughs> of about the same age. It would be pretty jarring for them to make that change in this episode because they had Angela's, um, like the flashback with Angela's mom in the cold open for this episode. So it's totally fresh in our minds. But what I was thinking of when I asked you about Magda and their increasing role in the series, I kind of wondered, like, if they hire an actor just for a small part, maybe they won't be able to transition into a bigger, like, fully supportive role later on. And um, not to just, like, pass shade when I don't know the circumstances at all, but maybe, like, they just needed an actor who could have more of, like, a screen presence. Here we get a little bit more insight into what's happening in the relationship between Angela and Elliot. So Elliot kind of passes himself off saying that he just wanted to see her. Of course, he wasn't really anticipating that anyone would be in the apartment and they find that very sweet. Um, and we kind of get a bit of backstory about how apparently uh, her parents didn't like Ollie either. When Elliot's in the apartment, he sees a huge photo collage that Angela had prepared for him as a gift for their wedding day. And all of the photos look a little bit photoshopped. And I think we're supposed to, as viewers, know that this world is kind of artificial through some of these little signs that we see. Does it feel like when you go into a hotel and they have like the same Ikea pictures that you see in every every different hotel room? Because I travel for work, I actually sometimes only remember I've been to a place before by that hotel art or because my Wi-Fi logs in automatically. <laughs> that's really funny funny unless it's your life um, we get to a really uncomfortable moment that could blow the whole thing apart when Emily's phone starts ringing but it's Elliot who's calling her yeah so much like with Edward earlier there is kind of like this intersection of the two Elliots in this one universe and it makes you wonder what's going to happen when people start to realize that um, something is amiss I think Elliot plays this one off really well because he kind of grabs the phone away from Price who, and he sounds like a so kindly old man here, thinks he's doing a spoof with the phone. <laughs> he's just so good at these gags and gimmicks. <laughs> um, but if Price had answered the phone, I have no idea. It would have blown the whole thing sky high. Um, Elliot kind of grabs the phone away. Um so this is why they abruptly hung up. And when we saw that at the cafe scene last episode. It seems like any time in this universe, there's sort of friction or overlap between the two Elliots. It seems to cause one of these earthquakes. And in this case, the earthquake leads to the, um, the whiskey sour being dropped and they, they cut their hands. So again, this shows us something that we had seen in the last episode when we had seen the broken glass and the bloody rags in the garbage can. Although it does have sort of an innocent genesis, which I think is not what I took from it when I first saw that broken, bloody glass. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I think um, the Price is, I guess that would be, is Angela Price now in this world? Maybe she has her mom's name. Yeah, maybe. Maybe she's like Angela Price Moss. Moss Price? Moss Price. I like it. I like it. Uh, they also think Elliot's just a little bit, uh, she's got a little bit of the cold feet and that's, I think, how they justify his bolting out of the apartment at top speed without saying a word. <laughs> well, maybe this guy is just so awkward that they're used to him doing stuff like this. Except, actually, in my notes, I have other Elliot. I call him Happy Elliot. <laughs> I don't think he's awkward like that. Oh, good point. Yeah, like this isn't the Elliot that they know. So this must actually be pretty um, like disconcerting to them. 
Yeah, he must seem to be acting very erratically. But of course, now he's heard his own voice on the phone. He's got to know what the source of it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, He makes his way back to his own apartment and he finds out that his key is able to unlock the door. When he opens the door, he realizes how very different this other person is than him. If I had done this, I would feel like I was like such an underachiever and be like, damn, what have I been doing with my life? What, just because his apartment's tidy? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he's got a record player, like... I, I just imagine that he has like a bowl of lemons somewhere and that's how you know that his life is perfect. Real lemons or artificial lemons? Definitely real ones. Wow. And I you feel use, like a failure now. <laughs> and you need to have enough real lemons and use them often enough that you can continuously use them without them going bad. That's maximum level. Maybe that's how Price keeps that whiskey sour factory going. <laughs> exactly. One of the first thing Elliot finds in the apartment is a Dilbert book, which I don't think is on brand for him. Because of the political stuff? <laughs> Or just because I don't think he'd have like a goofy office humor cartoon. Like he could care less about office dynamics. Some of it actually does have like funny tech related humor though. And the the Dilbert TV show, um, it's way funnier than the comic to be honest. And I didn't find out until much, much later, but it um, it stars Daniel Stern or Marv from Home Alone. So that's another one of those things. We just um, re-released our Home Alone episode with him in it. And it made me think of that. Um the second book that he takes out here is um, Ubuntu Made Easy. And I haven't read that in so long, but like I recognize the, co- the cover of it because I think that I have it on my bookshelf too. But what's funny is just that I think Elliot knows that you can find out so much about somebody by what books are on their shelves. <laughs> Except I no longer believe people have actually read any of those books, but they're the books that they curate to project a certain image about themselves. Oh shit, you're on to me. Well, and I guess I'm on to me too. Here there is still a Mac system and there's no binder of CDs. It's just a photo album of childhood photos. He looks in his medicine cabinet. It's just a bunch of vitamins and health food store supplements. I was impressed. His key obviously worked in this door, right? The same key. Elliot is taking some time to try to figure out who this person is. And he... I think believes that I think he believes that everyone has something under the surface. So under this happy, really polished exterior that there must be some secret lurking. And so goes through social media. And of course our social media is curated. Most of us to conceal our fears and insecurities and anxieties. So he's looking for what's below the surface. And I like the line, everyone has a monster. So what's his? What do you think of the camera work in this really intense hacking scene? It seems to have a lot more like fast paced panning shots with motion blur. I noticed that was something that they hadn't really like busted out before this. It's true. And I wonder if it's sort of, you know, a different style for a different universe where, you know, it's pretty quick moving. Um, and so it does help us get that sense of momentum. Yeah. Um, it also makes you feel like a little confined because there aren't really any shots or like any cuts um, the, the shots really are just like stitched together in a really continuous way and it builds up a pace as it gets even more intense. Um, so what he's doing here is, um, it's actually like, it, it's based in reality, although the way that they do it here isn't really perfect. Um, notably the commands that he's running in the terminal, um, he's not typing any spaces for some reason. So he's running like slash spin slash mounts dash UW or whatever when like, um, you should have a space before the dash and, and other things like that. And he does that in like all kinds of commands in this one scene. So 
it's just a bit of an outlier. And um, what he's trying to do is to break the full disk encryption that he set up on the um, on the iMac. So this is going to be like file vault um, disk layer encryption. What is a hidden partition? Um, well, it, it kind of depends. There are like a few different definitions for that. Um, there's hidden in like the lay people sense, which is just like when you flip a bit on the partition, and that means that it's not going to be available to the operating system. It's like it doesn't exist. But you can just go back into your um, like disk manager, like uh, Gparted or something like that, and turn the hidden flag off, and then it will be visible again. But there are other things, um, particularly within InfoSec, where a hidden partition might be hidden in some other way. Um, one common example for this is um, software that was once very popular, now it's deprecated, um, called TrueCrypt. So with TrueCrypt, you would have one kind of like layer of encryption, um, which would hide your data. And then for people who wanted an extra layer of security, you could also further encrypt data inside that encrypted partition. So that would mean that if somebody is compelling you to unlock your data, you can unlock um, like just the first layer of encryption and be like, oh, here's my Christmas shopping list or some other thing I'm trying to hide. Um, but then they won't have any reason to think that there might also be more hidden data. So that is kind of like a more technical definition for what a hidden partition would be. And that's when like um, the goal is actually to keep it hidden from forensic investigators and not just from the operating system itself. What's your first thought when you see what's inside the hidden partition? It looks like stuff that people would post on Reddit, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, because there's some really excellent fan art out there. At first, I think oh my God, are we going to learn that this story was just all a comic book drawn by this other guy? And I thought I would have been so disappointed <laughs> if that were the story. Wasn't there some like medical procedural show that ended like that where it turned out to be like in the minds of a patient and everybody Ugh, hated that? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I also get a bit confused about the time signature here because it seems to be flashing between light and dark as he's looking so it gives me the impression that he's been there for like days somehow <laughs> but of course that's not the case um so when happy elliot comes through the door he responds more calmly than we might think he would yeah yeah let's let's see how long he stays happy though our elliot asks him about the drawings and i guess i would be curious too if i found an exact portrait of myself in the secret component of someone's computer yeah but what i find most interesting is the picture of darlene all the way down to like the heart-shaped glasses i know and when he asks about an explanation for who's the brown-haired woman she's described as you know his partner in crime so not as his sister or anyone related to him but and even like romero and trenton and like everyone is so spot on in those drawings and so this is Happy Elliot's projection of that more interesting life that he talked to Terrell about. Oh, Terrell. <laughs> um, that, you know, more dramatic, you know, more suspenseful, uh, intriguing kind of life than their rather pedestrian, straightforward, happy existences. So here's like a game theory question for you. How would you handle a situation if you had to fight your own clone? Well, because we all if we have self-awareness, know our own weaknesses best. I know 
that there's like a split second before I'll take charge of a situation. And so I would know that I would need to act very fast if I wanted to subdue or confound my exact devil. But I would have to act very fast before they started being directive about the situation. (laughs) How about you? That's a great answer. And I think that you've kind of like thought farther ahead of me here because what really trips me up is the fact that like, I can be introspective and I can think like this is what I would probably think and this is how I would react. But then I also know that that's what the other me would be thinking and they would probably also be trying to take advantage of that in me. So you just need to kind of like keep drilling it down to the bottom until you find out what you can actually do. But hopefully um, if I were ever fighting myself, I would have read enough about like the prisoner's dilemma that we could both just comfortably sit down and know that we wouldn't actually fight each other. Elliot asks why he created these drawings and these characters. And so they're a fantasy, but they're a fantasy that when asked, Happy Elliot says he doesn't ever really want to be. And I mean, talk about being your own harshest critic here. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Like you would also think that, oh, Elliot here would be realizing the resemblance, right? Yeah. Like it seems to take him a second before he's like, oh my goodness. Oh, it's exactly you (laughs) down to the smallest detail. That reminds me of this hilarious comic I saw a few years ago, which is like somebody drawing a picture of a tiger and they're like, hi, friends, look at my picture of a tiger. And somebody's like, that is the ugliest, shittiest looking picture of a tiger I've ever seen. And then you can see a tiger like crying that looks exactly like the (laughs) shitty picture. (laughs) Happy Elliot can hear Elliot talking to us, to his friend, too. And that causes another earthquake. So another rupture in this kind of universe. Is it a rupture or is it a merger? Ooh, I suppose it is a merger. The thing that I find interesting is that we are merging the two universes, but as the universes merge, the personifications of Elliot are forced to diverge even more. Happy Elliot falls and strikes his head, which knocks him, I guess, temporarily unconscious. And then Angela, who I guess calls every time one of these earthquakes happen to check in. And that's when our Elliot... He picks up the phone to have the conversation he's been so eager to have for so long. And this is when things really come to a T for Elliot in this universe. He's so happy to hear from her, so overjoyed. And I guess he's really forgotten that whole thing where she like drugged him and manipulated him for the Dark Army and stuff. Yeah, maybe there were some good drugs. Yeah, he seems to really have some closure about that whole situation there, Um, which is nice. You know, it doesn't hold on to a grudge. (laughs) This moment really challenges us when Happy Elliot asks for an ambulance and he can't move and he asks for help. And you see that Elliot, he has, you know, a moment to consider whether he's going to reach out and get help. And that was his initial reaction, but he doesn't do that. Well, can you imagine calling the police and being like, I just killed my clone or something? (laughs) Oh, you'd have to run. You'd have to run far, far from that place. I think this conversation with Angela, this idea of a happy future, of having her back, of having his love for her reciprocated, I think that lure is just too strong. And so he does, and I think he's conflicted about it, um, you know, something almost unthinkable. Yeah. Um, and it's something that kind of starts out passive, but eventually Elliot does become very active um, in his assaults on the O. Elliot, who's already injured on the floor. I initially thought he was just going to let him die. I didn't realize he was going to assist him. 
I, I mean, I wouldn't really call it assisting, but I get what you mean there. Yeah, I didn't know how to tactfully, you know, really say it, but um, he suggests that we look away. And I think I'm kind of grateful to look away from this scene. Yeah. This is one of those scenes, again, I've been saying that by the end, it would seem more clear to us that Elliot was the villain. I guess um, because of all of the wavering identities and motivations, it's kind of hard to say that in a concrete way. But this is really one of the most challenging things we've seen in the show so far, and it's coming from the protagonist. Um, we can see his bloody hands um, as he walks away. And um, this, like, it has to stand in contrast to the other characters. Um, even even White Rose, who we know is um, very violent, hasn't really ever tried to kill uh, Elliot specifically. In fact, when Grant and Wing Shu have asked for White Rose to kill Elliot, um, she hasn't really agreed with that. She's thought that Elliot has his place, that he's going to be useful at some point. Whereas Elliot is willing to use extreme violence here um, to take over this alternate universe. It's much like how he um, dosed Olivia earlier in this season. Um, another real like line-crossing moment for Elliot. And that reminds me, I wish that they would have um, brought up uh, Olivia at least once more. I think with that, I think there are some irredeemable things our favorite characters do and that we as viewers are asked to live with that as part of reconciling their complicated nature. I think the same with, you know, if I think about Terrell and the couple of truly cruel and inhuman things he did, but we're asked to kind of reconcile that with his better nature. And I think that's what we're being asked to do of Elliot through the Olivia scene, which I agree doesn't get any further resolution. So after Elliot kills his alternate self, that's the end of the first episode. This is a, a two-episode finale, and we've decided to split the next episode into a separate episode of the podcast as well. Till the next episode, then.